at home if you can. I'm finding it difficult to stay at home. Virus, just go away. Please leave us alone. We have a life to live. Doesn't that make you cringe? Lindy Wezulu, the Minister of Social Development, complaining about COVID-19. Not because it might take many, many, many lives. No, 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 no. It's getting in the way of her living her best life. Yeah? You know what I reckon? It's exposing those who aren't able to do their jobs thoroughly. And I have an issue with the two Lindy Wez. I'm not so sure about Lindy Wezulu. I didn't feel there was clarity with all the challenges they experienced with the social grant system as they were paying them out throughout the week and then i'm also not so sure about lindy and we have identified 29 areas of priority uh, in our informal settlements these are areas where we would need to go in and try and see if it is not possible to de-densify but also make sure that we provide all the necessary sanitation to them at their doorstep we would like to appeal to the people who live in these densely populated areas to allow us to work with them to try and de-densify these areas. In future, we will be able to get into the details of how we're going to do that. She speaks about de-densifying. She loves that phrase, an interesting one. But ultimately, we have a lot of dense communities. Think about Alex, a famous township, but also where a COVID-19 case was recorded. And when you ask, what are the plans for communities like Alex, where the idea of physical distancing is lovely, but almost impossible where when you're immediately immediately outside your yard you're in the street then i think okay okay she's just got a plan minister minister what's the plan and there's no answer now these ministers must work now president Ramaphosa's cabinet must show us why these are the men and women at the front lines and who deserve to guide the country at a time of crisis and i'm sorry the two lindy ways are found wanting if you are under threat you must use the deadly Force. And then you've got Becky Tele, cowboy galore, hmm? a Zulu cowboy. I, I, I find him interesting because in the middle of the night, I know he's out on the streets with the force. I know that if you tell him there's a Shebin that's operating and shouldn't be, Becky Tele is likely to go to that Shebin, even if it's at 3, 4 a.m. You must commend the minister who's not sleeping. I've also seen and I've heard a lot of talk about the scop, skeet and donor mentality between the police force as well as the army. I don't agree with it. I think it was always going to be tricky, you know, finding a soft middle finding a way to make sure that people are listening to the rules so you are enforcing the regulations versus respecting their human rights but now we have three deaths at least in the middle of the week at the hands of officials now competing with the death toll of the COVID-19 pandemic that's risen well over five both the army and the police need to almost continue hearing the words of the president as he deployed the army uh, last week saying that this is a mercy mission it's a grace mission it's one that must be conducted with kindness it's one to save the lives of South Africans and not going to use them as the enemy they're not the enemy the enemy is this pandemic you are called upon to go out and support our police work with them walk amongst our people and defend them against this virus you are required to do so in the most understanding way in the most respectful way
And the other thing that COVID-19 has done for me, and I think a few other people, is it's been a very stark reminder of who and what we are as a country and how much further we need to go to get it right, you know. We live in an unjust society. People say that all the time. Um, You're seeing it. COVID-19 has shown it in the most painful ways. I think about the long queues that you're finding only in the townships of social grant recipients. Those painfully snaking queues of our grandparents who've been in queues all day. It was also very interesting to finally see them getting chairs and one can't help but wonder, so if it wasn't for corona and the need to physically distance people, how are these people being dealt with every day? And they go unseen by you and I. Yeah, the so-called middle. Hmm? So as journalists, um, we are also mostly working from home. We go out every now and again. I thought it was best to actually step out this time around and maybe understand this pandemic from a different perspective, from those who are at the heartbeat of trying to guide us and fight the spread of the coronavirus. So when I do come out of my home, as I have today, I've come out with gloves. I kind of keep distance from people. I often am very close when I'm chatting to my subjects. That's not the case in today's episode. For the third episode of One More Thing, with myself, TB Madia. I'm sitting in a boardroom at the Gauteng Health Disaster Center in Midrand. This is where they're navigating COVID-19, coming up with plans and measures to try and flatten the curve to stop the spread and have fewer and fewer cases. So sitting in front of me, at least a meter away, in the name of physical distancing, is Dr. Bandile Masuku, the health MEC for the province of Gauteng. So, MEC, on Tuesday, there were images of yourself and Premier David Makura in Alexandra. It drew a lot of criticism on social media. You know, I think it was it, it was well-intentioned from what I can see. You're helping to screen. But the criticism is around issues of dignity, you know, that these people are being tested out in the open. Just how do you respond to, first of all, that kind of criticism around every effort that governments try to do? There's always a backlash and views that come from certain sectors of our society. I think the people didn't understand what was happening. I think that's the first thing. The know, people in terms of those who are those, watching? Those who are watching okay. and those who are criticizing on Twitter. Mm. They've never been to Alexander. They've never been to Straitland. You know, and when you say it was in an open field, in actual fact, we're in a yard. A yard with like 50 or so uh, shakes around. So it's, it's, it's a really an, a context matter. The second thing is that it was our first uh, run in terms of the testing. We are going to pick up a lot of wrong things that we need to correct as we go forward. So we will correct it. We will try by all means in the next uh, venture that we go into, we're going to try and create that particular space for privacy and confidentiality. And I think it's, it's one of the things that we, we are learning from. You know, I think we'll improve as we go on. And then what are you finding in terms of those communities? How will I live one? When you speak to them, are you finding that the messaging that's been happening all along is finding expression with South Africans in our communities? They actually were aware and they were very appreciative of the effort. Moreover, that they got to know that one of their neighbours around there was actually found to be a COVID positive. And they were actually willing, you know, wanted to be tested, so that they wanted to know so I think generally there was a very welcoming uh, and a very appreciative uh, uh, tone and atmosphere. 
Please take us into your into confidence, really, and into insights into behind the walls that you know of an area like this, a war room like this. What goes into the considerations when you manage to make public that somebody who goes straight in an area like straight that is densely populated, that is really closer to a lot of us as Black South Africans, that somebody there is tested positive? What kind of considerations are there? And I ask this question on the back of conversations I've even had with your own spokesperson, Kwarakekana, about whether or not it's in the interest of the public to say, yes, there's a case in an Alex. Yes, maybe there's a case in a Soweto. What considerations do you, do you make before coming out in public and saying, yes, somebody in Alex has tested positive? What goes into the thinking, the rationale around that? It is a very difficult uh, consideration that we make. Are you going to pick your spots based on cases being confirmed in those areas? Yes, that's what uh, the whole community testing would be because, you know, there should be some form of logic to it that when we have maybe more than five contacts uh, in the area or two or three uh, infected uh, individuals, then we'll be able to cordon off that area, particularly also grade who we test, because it's not just going to be everybody. It's those that who are firstly in the immediate vicinity, uh, those who stay with them in the house, and those who stay maybe two houses, three houses away, and those who generally interact with. There should be some logic in what we're doing so that we also use the resources quite uh, efficiently. Mm. Then in that vein, I need to then ask, will you be going to Soweto soon? Because some of the rumours circulating are that there are confirmed cases in Soweto. Yeah, I think there are rumours. I'm asking for clarity, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are actually rumours, uh, but there are individuals that uh, have been through Soweto uh, who we have to now choose which area in Soweto. So Soweto in itself is a very a huge area. So we'll have to get to a point where when we have those contacts around there, maybe more than five, I, th I presume that that will be almost the magic figure, you know, uh, and then we'll be able to get there. But secondly, that there's also a technology-enhanced uh, approach, you know, because now we can be able, from your cell phone, able yes, to see... I heard those rumors. I also want to, to chat see, about to that. ...to see your movement you know, how you, you went through yourself and which area you spent more time with. But this testing should always be focused. I've heard about that. I actually do wrote it down on something I want to pick your brain about. But I want to go back to what you're saying now. So there are confirmed cases from Soweto. Don't push me to, to say that, but uh, there are cases in Johannesburg. <laughs> Johannesburg has got the largest number of yes. cases. And yeah. Um, what are the hotspots in, in Gauteng? What areas are very concerning for your portfolio? You know, we, 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 we have spoken about this triangle when you look at it from OR Tambo to up to midstream or Centurion and coming back to Centen and then back to OR Tambo. In that area, you find that there is Dipslut in the north, there is Tembisa, mm -hmm. there is Alex next to Centen, and there is a bit of a cattle home around there. And then Ebony Park and them. So those are the major aspects that, major areas that we need to look at and be worried about them. But now we know for sure, for sure, that Alex has had cases, right? We don't know about all the other areas. Are you now saying that, as you mentioned all those areas in the triangle, are they all affected already? Are there people they've tested positive, which is now the cause for concern? Or is it because you're trying to uh, implement preventative measures from protecting particular communities, which are densely populated in those areas, from being uh, infected? No, I think the issue is that there are contacts. 
because most of these individuals are individuals that ordinarily wouldn't be uh, people who travel overseas. You know, they would like the, the, the gentleman that you talk about in Alex, you know, got it uh, as a contact from the employer, you know, so uh, most of them and all these people work in these areas, you know, so that's, that's our major worry. And with the vulnerabilities that are there, you know, in terms of poverty levels, HIV rate, um, uh, TB, they, those are just worrying, you know, so those are the ones that we are really really concerned about. Okay, and then in terms of the tracking, the, you just touched on it a little bit that there's technology, and I know that the regulations now seem to allow some departments to use that technology to track people based on cell phone movement. So it's what normally the intelligence service use, you know, to track people. So I think that enhancement has made us to be at least a bit systematic and be able to follow up uh, a lot of uh, cases in terms of tracing. There's constantly, uh, there's constant talk about the amount of beds uh, our hospitals have. How optimistic are you as we speak now about the capacity? Should a worst case scenario unfold in Gauteng in terms of having enough as far as the health system is concerned to cater to the needs of a large amount of people who might be infected? I normally answer this question by saying it's like an exam, you know, you prepare but it's only after the exam that you can say, I'm well, I was well prepared, you know. So anyone who'll say I'm very fully well prepared would be a bit uh, you know, naive, you know. But we are working towards building the capacity uh, and we're also using the modeling and the calculations using the worst case scenario. And it's something that we are uh, 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 doing because we also want to involve a lot of logic and rationality, you know, but we have models. The one that we, we are using now tells us that we, we might need a day uh, 1.5 beds, 1,500 beds, and those we are actually ready to cater for, you know, and then we have also included a bit of the, the, the catastrophic scenario, which if also doesn't get to a point where we need more than uh, 2.5 beds. So we are putting a, a lot of logic and modeling, and we also need to believe in the science that we, we you know, we do. But so it's not like a thumbs up. Are the rumors that two thousand beds will be put up in the, at Nasrec? Is there any truth to those kind of rumors? We are working with Nasrec uh, to put up a bigger facility and extra space for hospitalization uh, purposes. And when we talk about hospitalization, we are also referring to ICU, high care and a general ward, and then we're also looking at the space for quarantining and isolation. So we are working with them, and we'll announce when the time is right. And we're also looking at the north and Gauteng, where we're also looking at the space where we'll put up a temporary modular system of a building, which will be almost like a temporary hospital uh, that will cater for the northern part of Gauteng, which is Tuane, and part of Westland and part of uh, Um, Let me see, there's an issue around the door-to-doors. I was trying to understand, it's not door-to-doors, but, but you'll have some of these health workers going to people's houses to do screening and testing at people's homes. And obviously in Gauteng, one thinks about crime. Um, are you concerned about people who attempt to take advantage? I mean, as with anything, there'll always be people who see opportunities. Are you in communication with other departments that you're working with about how to mitigate um, that, that threat? Yeah, I think the, the issue of announcing first is an important aspect, you know, and 
remember when we spoke about the testing, the logic that will come when we decide yes, or when, yes. we, when to descend to a particular community. One of them is just to also announce, to say we are coming. We are coming to Katlehong uh, uh, section, Zuma section. And uh, so it's not just going to be people randomly knocking and say we're here to test you. So we just have to also do that, announce and also call for people that can walk or go, that is after the lockdown, who can get to the clinic, but mostly it's those that will get in their houses. So just announcing, it's one aspect. The second one is also involving the community leaders of those areas to be also aware and also help us to make the community aware. Public safety has always been, uh, even yesterday we had a lot of uh, public safety people and even the police, you know, so that those who are, I don't think will get to a point where people will have to force them, but uh, we, we are also working with them. So we are, in a general sense, working with all our uh, colleagues and uh, involving everyone. South Africans seem to not understand the issue of self-isolating versus quarantining. And some of the people you've asked to self-isolate, like the gentleman in Alex, who then end up going to Limpopo, uh, often break that. You know, I think there's a case in the Northwest where somebody was asked to self-isolate, they dashed off to Gauteng, you know, they came to Kurleni. That seems to still be a problematic area. How do you navigate it? How do you resolve it? I think the, the essence about... Uh, quarantining first is just a definition you know quarantining it means you are an individual that is negative awaiting results or awaiting the period you of mean self-isolation quarantining quarantining okay yes so quarantining is when you are negative waiting for results and waiting for a period uh, the incubation period to expire which is 14 okay. days uh, so that we see if you have a uh, you have symptoms or everything like that. So it's a negative individual, but just worried or haven't done a test and waiting for the incubation period to complete. If uh, the results maybe came out negative, but we still want to see it 14 days later, if it's still the same. Then isolation, it's when you are found to be positive, you know, and then it's when you require to be isolated. So in principle, it's the same thing that you avoid contact, avoid anything else, uh, contact with other individuals, contact with, if you use the share, same uh, ablution services, it means they have to be cleansed, sanitized and everything. The plate must be your plate, you know, so that you don't share a lot of things. So it's the safe principle, but the principle is only about the individuals that we are talking about, whether you are positive or negative. So isolation is when you are positive, found to be positive and the second thing is, is the important thing is that you have to give consent, you know, you have to have the ability to understand that this is what it means and what it takes, you know, uh, have, take that undertaking. And it's something that we normally trust all our patients with, you know, that when you give them medication, you give them the instruction. The only thing that you have is that they will keep to the instruction. And also because you know? if they're lucid at the time, they should understand exactly yeah. what is happening. So, yeah. so that's the ability. So we, we give them the guidelines and those people, we have been maybe on the fortunate side when the most of our patients in Gauteng have been able 
to even have the space in their houses to self-quarantine or self-isolate. And then the, the last thing I think, there's this argument that's been going around about whether or not COVID-19 is airborne. It's an argument maybe that the world, for the World Health Organization to still deal with. You know, on an international scale, that argument resurfaces, they deal with it, and then it comes back and who comes, it, it keeps going back and forth. I'm asking this because even this morning I heard of this interview, I saw it coming up again saying, actually, it could be, it can be airborne, it lasts this many hours, just for clarity's sake, how does this thing get passed from one person to the next? It's still through contact. There we go. As a matter of fact. Uh, and, you know, before I, I, I became a politician full-time, uh, I was one of those who was, what do you call them? Academics at vets, you know, so scholars. So, you know, scholars, we normally like to have academic debates, mm-hmm. even in a spaces of crisis. So there is an, an academic debate that of is going course, on yes. about airborne and not airborne. And the articles that uh, I've went through, uh, academic articles that I've went through on the matter, they actually have some rider, like they have to be certain conditions. You know, firstly, it was in hospital settings. You know, they last, they last longer on the air. You know, the other one was in humid spaces and a certain temperature, they last longer, the droplets last longer, they suspend longer on air. But I think the basic thrust and the basic knowledge that we have is that it's through contact, and also with the contact, it's just not because I've touched you for 30 seconds, or we spend 30 seconds in one room, then obviously just from that point, you might be uh, infected. So it's also about the time that you spend, you know, like 15 minutes, uh, that you spend. So there are a number of things that you have to go through, you know, like even even in a plane, you know, when you're sitting in an airplane, you know, it's not everybody in the plane who will have to be tested, you know. We'll have to look at the people. They talk about two seats in front, two seats on the other side, and two seats at the back. Those are the high-risk people in terms of contact. The but the other, the other people, you know, yes, they are contacts, but they are not high risk. I've got one more thing for you. Um, you, are, you arrived late. I know that you are a little bit tired. And that's also the other question I always have in mind. In the middle of a thing like this, a crisis like this, is also how is the person navigating this thing, the person at the center? Because we all look into your department in this province to guide us and to navigate. But every now and again, I wonder, Shame, how is he actually coping? How are you holding up? I think the minister said uh, that they will only ask me about the pains after the war. When I get time to rest, you know, if there's nothing hectic happening, you know, like do some interviews from home, I sleep in. And, and also I yeah, go and see my parents, you know, my mother especially. But I spend time mostly at home. It's very good. You should avoid your parents. I avoid my dad. I don't want to spoil anything to him. But uh, thank you so much for your time. That's the Health MEC for the province of Gauteng, the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic in South Africa. So again, this week, we're not going to feature Lizeka Tandwa, my colleague at the politics desk for her top three with Tandwa, because we're prioritizing this one conversation that I think many South Africans still need to be having around this pandemic, this deadly pandemic that could have dire consequences for our country if we don't understand it and how to mitigate against the spread of the virus. 
And so that's it for this week. Uh, thank you to Dr. Bandile Masuku, the health MEC for Gauteng. We'll chat to you again next week. But until then, stay safe. For News 24, my name is Tidi Madia, and this podcast was produced by Noctula Magnati.